0: As I was wrestling with my decision about attending seminary, I discovered an old journal from when I was 15, and in it, there was a drawing of darkness at the bottom of the page and light up at the top of it, and I understood that I was standing in between those two points, and I was leaning over, reaching out to hands that were reaching up and my role was to lend a hand and pull those reaching upwards to the light. Underneath, I wrote these words, When I am a minister, I will help people get to God's light. This entry was written six years earlier, and I had no recollection of having written it when I read it. That image became my vision, a confirmation of a calling, and one I still try to unpack and understand in my life. And in my career, I have been a professor, therapist, chaplain, and pastor, with the privilege of helping others to see the light, to see God's face. But it wasn't until writing this sermon that I realized that that vision is really not about me. It's about Jesus. He is the one reaching down. He left the light of God's throne room to lift me up out of the pit and to bring me to life. And because he did this, I have the privilege of being invited to do the same for others. Rediscovering my journal at that moment in time was God's perfect timing. God reminded me of a dream to guide me. Well, in the same way, Revelation is a book that gives meaning in times of challenge or tribulation. And aren't we there right now? I've heard from so many of you, we are in difficult and dark days. Everyone knows someone in distress. We are the, in the epidemic after the pandemic. And what we need is what John described for us, to fix our eyes on Jesus to get through. Seeing Jesus helps us trust God is directing our destiny despite our circumstances. We are given a vision for a reason. So it was for John who wrote this as an old man. He's that beloved disciple of Jesus and he's now in exile on the island of Patmos as both a religious and political prisoner. And it's here that Jesus told John to write down what he sees, and so we have the book of Revelation. This book is the last in the Bible as we finish our three-year journey and our series from Genesis to Revelation. As many of you know, Revelation is often an intimidating book for Christians. I was in a 20s Bible study that took place in Rudy and Betty Morin's basement, and in our boldness, we decided to study Revelation. We didn't know what we were doing. But God revealed himself to us anyway, and of our group, three of us became pastors, one a missionary, and another works at a church. This book may change your life, too. Revelation is full of symbols and Old Testament references that awaken our imagination like art and poetry. Revelation shows us God's reality, God's order, in the midst of chaos and evil. And it appeals to our senses, so it invites us to participate in it with with John. The word revelation means apocalypse, to uncover, to pull back the curtain, to see what is hidden from our eyes. The Revelation of John is about the future, God's final victory, breaking in on us now. The central character and the focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus. In 404 verses of this book, there are 518 references to the Old Testament. Every line is mined out of rich strata of Scripture. This vision is firmly set in language that Jewish Christians would have understood as prophetic from the book of Daniel, Isaiah, and other prophets. John is pointing through using these scriptures to the power of who Jesus is, and he's saying to the churches, all the Old Testament signs of the coming Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus. Take heart. So I want to look with you at the opening of today's text to hear more about the purpose of this vision, that John receives, beginning at verse nine through 10. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So let's pause here for a moment. John is saying, I'm a partner in suffering because he knew what these churches were going through. There had been decades of persecution, tribulation, and bloodshed. Wars, famine, fires, crucifixions, and death in the Colosseum were widespread. The historian Josephus tells us that Roman soldiers actually sealed off Jerusalem, and more than a million people died of a famine, disease, or were murdered in a four-month period. Five hundred men a day were being crucified. Can you imagine how dark and despairing this time was in history for Christians? And despite all of this suffering, John shares the vision of Jesus to encourage them to stay faithful and persevere. That word, tribulation, means to crush, press, or squeeze. And maybe some of you here now are feeling broken or crushed by your circumstances, or under great pressure. Life may be spinning out of control, and you think there is no order or meaning to the trials you are facing. If so, The book of Revelation is for you. The prophet Isaiah said, without a vision, the people perish. John's vision gave the churches what they needed for strength and support. And John invites us to endure, to hang in there in a time of trial. We see that he received this vision in the spirit. That means he was in the Holy Spirit. He received prophetic words And those are words that call people back to life and that invite people back to God. It happened for him on the Lord's Day. It is likely this meant Sunday when Christians gathered to worship. Notice he put himself in a space to encounter God. And turning to the voice, he sees Jesus, that vision of Jesus to encourage those persecuted Christians. And that voice sounds like a loud trumpet, clear and piercing that says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. He's referring to the seven churches of Asia Minor, but actually the number seven is the number of completion. It's the whole churches. And that number seven in Revelation appears 55 times. John gets a vision pointing to God's ultimate reality. Now, some of you may have had visions, and others of you may never have had a vision. So let me just say a few words about it, if this is new language to you. Visions can be things like dreams, or they can be something you see with your mind's eye that leaves a strong impression. It can be a way that God is communicating with us and shape our futures. It inspires us and it can reorient us where we are. So now let's take a look together at that vision. But before you open your scripture to it, I want to just say this. As we uncover these symbols together, I want you to listen afresh for how these verses impact you. What stands out to you? I invite you to use your imagination to see what John sees as I read these verses for you. You may even want to close your eyes to picture the scene, beginning in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. So let me journey with you a little bit into some of those symbols if they're new to you. John sees Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. These early Christians would have thought right away of the menorah, the seven lampstands in the temple in Jerusalem, and they were a sign of God's presence with them. John calls him the son of man, and that was a phrase Jesus often used of himself, but it goes back In scripture to Daniel, the prophet Daniel saying this about the son of man. God would give him everlasting dominion and glory that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So that phrase would have allowed people to see this is Jesus, the king, the ultimate king, not just of the Jews, the king of all people. And as we look at this glorified Jesus, the first thing we notice was what he's wearing. Like a white coat on a doctor, his clothing tells us who he is. He has on a priestly robe, and that priest is the one that presents us to God and God to us, and mediates that loving union between us and God. The sash is on his chest, And that has significance because when a priest was sacrificing an animal, he would tie the sash around his waist and then untie it and put it back on his chest when the sacrifice was completed. So Jesus, as our high priest, has completed the final sin sacrifice. After noticing his robe, we we are drawn to see Jesus' head and eyes, the white of his hair signifies wisdom, holiness, and purity. And his eyes are purifying, penetrating, and transforming. They see into us. And we know that image of fire, that symbol, is often used throughout the scriptures to signify God. His feet are burnished bronze. God gave Daniel a glimpse of the same eternal reality of Jesus back in Daniel 10. There's bronze feet were meant to be strong. They're solid, and they're tested by fire and create a firm foundation. Jesus is strong and secure, and he can trample any foe. Now, the literary construction of this whole passage of the vision really points your attention to his voice. What we're told here is that his voice is like the roar of many waters. Can you imagine this? How many of us have been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? All right, other great falls around the world. I know we have a lot of people here who travel. So you've been to some amazing falls, and you know what that's like, right? I remember being at Niagara Falls at a great distance from it in a raincoat. But guess what? I'm sure you had this experience. I was drenched through. That raincoat did nothing, and that was just the mist coming off the water. And then I remember trying to speak like, wow, I couldn't hear myself speak let alone anything else except the roar of the thundering waters. That's what we're supposed to feel and experience as John's telling this story, the roar of many waters. In his right hand, that's his strong arm, Jesus holds seven stars, and that has a number of meanings. In the first century, there were seven known planets, So what John is saying is that Jesus has all the authority. He is running the cosmos. Later we read in verse 20, this could also stand for the ministering angels, bringing God's word and glory to the churches. That sword coming from his mouth is God's word, and it's separating good from evil, creating justice and righteousness. Next we're told about Jesus' face shining brightly like Moses when he came down from the mountain. God and Jesus radiates warmth and light, like the power of the sun. And in a season of darkness, light brings beauty and order. And the Bible tells us throughout to seek God's face. You know the familiar benediction, Numbers 6 tells us, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. We heard that wonderful hymn sung during the offertory today that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We are invited to see a fuller image of Jesus who's not only overall king of kings, but he's also in the midst of the seven churches, representing all churches. Notice where Jesus is in verse 13. It it said he's not above the lampstands, which represent the churches. He's not sort of out ahead of them, but he's actually in the midst of them. Do we see Jesus this way? I love this text because it reminds me that Jesus is all-powerful, our great high priest, and he's completed the sacrifice for us to remove sin and death. This Jesus is in the midst of what we are going through right now. There is no pain, suffering, trial, or tribulation that he is not there with us or that he is not bigger than Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, is in the midst of our suffering and gives us a vision of himself to sustain us. Well, you can imagine what John must have felt when he got this overwhelming vision of Jesus. Um, And how did he respond? How did Jesus respond in response to his response? Let's take a look together at verse 17 and 18. John saying, when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I am the first and the last and the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades John collapsed He fainted, he fell at his feet as though dead. And notice Jesus' loving response. He just lays his right hand on him, comforting him, strengthening him, even blessing him. And he says those two powerful words, fear not. And we hear that throughout Scripture, don't we? Jesus says that to Peter on the water. He says it to Mary at the empty tomb. These are words of love and consolation. Jesus is alive forever and he invites us to his his eternal life by dying on the cross, conquering death, and he went all the way to Hades to get back what we lost in the fall. He holds those keys now and he's freeing those in prison to darkness, sin, and death. He loves us and has the ultimate victory. The kingdom he is establishing is here but not yet in all its fullness, and he invites us to participate in it with him. We are all waiting on his ultimate return to set all things right. But for now, knowing how the story ends strengthens us to live in these difficult times. We can endure with patience as we anticipate his return. And I want to just pause for a moment with you at that response of Jesus to remember that loving kindness, his hand on John's shoulder when he collapsed in fear. I don't know what burden you are carrying today, but I know God does. And I want you to imagine for a moment Jesus' hand on your shoulder and to hear his words to you. There is no need to fear. I am the first and the last with power and authority over all things in heaven and earth. I am in the midst of your suffering. You are not alone. I am with you. I will not let anything overtake you. I love you. I have died to reclaim you and I have a purpose for you even here and now in your present struggles. As we grow in our love for Jesus, getting closer to him, then our perspective shifts and all of a sudden we find we have strength to face our battles and we're renewed even if our circumstances don't change. If you feel like you're in exile today, like John and these early churches, no matter what challenges you're facing, Jesus is in the middle of what you're suffering with you. He is the hero who will rescue you from harm and persecution, even if you don't see it yet. He will pull you out of darkness to God's glorious light. So let us be like John who shares a powerful vision of Jesus to sustain him. Like him, we can tell others the good news wherever God has placed us. Amen.